Today is Friday, August 23rd, and this is Celtics Beat on the CLNS Media Network, the leading online provider of audio-video coverage of the Boston Celtics. I'm Adam Kaufman, episode 329 featuring Boston Sports Journal Celtics Beat writer Brian Robb is brought to you by BetOnline.ag. Use the promo code CLNS50 to get a 50% bonus on your first deposit of $55 or more. Well, welcome into another edition of Celtics Beat, another August edition, which means, of course, you know, there's a lot that we could spend time on uh, that probably isn't all that important, if we're being totally honest. And there's a whole bunch that, you know, you, you follow some of the other shows, even some of the other podcasts, it feels like Reach type of programming. We're all just hungry for the actual season to get going. The NBA season, basically two months away at this point. The exhibition season, I don't know, a, a month and change, whatever it is. I don't want to spend too much time talking U.S basketball in part because the squad is still playing exhibitions the world cup tournament starts for real september 1st for the americans they won their second fake non-scrimmage game so two and oh Yay, they beat uh, old friend Aaron Baines and the Australians by 16, 102-86. Did it in front of 51,000 people, so that's pretty cool down there. But uh, Kemba Walker, that's where we're going to begin, among other things. Paced the U.S., 23 points, had 21 of those in the second half. Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown, each with 11, connected for a pretty good alley-oop. That's always fun to see. Marcus Smart did not suit up because of his calf injury. Greg Popovich still with one cut to make as we talk right now, but it's not going to be Smart. He's a captain, along with Kemba Walker and Donovan Mitchell. Smart's going to have a chance to play Saturday and then one last pre-turdy game against Canada on Monday. So that's just sort of setting the table and a whole lot else that we got coming up here on this Celtics beat, but wouldn't do it alone, wouldn't want to, and it wouldn't be nearly as good. Let's bring in a good friend of this program and past programs that I've done. Hell, he used to produce my radio show, Brian Robb, Boston Sports Journal, also part of the CLNS family as the Winning Plays podcast with Michael Pina and Rich Levine as well. B-Rob, what's going on, buddy? What's going on, man? How we doing? Doing all right. How's the summer treating you? You bored yet? No, thanks to this Team USA team, to be honest. it's. Uh, I imagine I'd be incredibly bored if, uh, <laughs> if we'd have more Celtics on this roster, but, you know, they're playing, mixing in a game or two, you know, once or twice a week, and actually getting some real, you know, meaningful tournament games to look at uh, at the end of the month and into September here, both with that and, you know, Tyson Poirier, like, that's going to be, it'll be cool to kind of get a sneak preview of what's the what's to come this year. So the first games that we've seen, at least, for, I don't know how much you've watched, like Germany and France, you mentioned those guys, but at least for the American squad, what are your big takeaways, at least to this point? Knowing, again, we're not into the real competition, these are just tune-ups, but what have you seen, especially as it surrounds the four Celts that are on the team? I think the most interesting thing, Adam, that I've noticed is it seems like Jalen Brown is, and then based on the personnel on this team, is going to be used a lot in a in a power forward role, uh, a small ball forward role, which I think is an interesting kind of twist since it's something that Brad Stevens hasn't done a ton of in the first few years of his career. He's been more used as you know a two as opposed to a four. Obviously, his versatility allows him to guard anyone in that range. But with this, with the personnel on this team, um, there aren't really a lot of true power forwards, and so Brown's you know, athleticism, his, um, you know, his length. And it's pretty much, it seems like he's been asked to, you know, kind of do the dirty work at that position to a degree, which I mm-hmm. think is is very encouraging for the Celtics just because that's, I feel like, a game of, a part of his game that has a lot of potential and, and honestly needs to improve. Um, the rebounding, just to be able to, you know, handle guys in the post in a pinch. And so, and obviously, to, to sacrifice to do that those kind of things, which he got better at last year, I think, as the year went on after you know the tough first couple months. But um, doing it in a setting where you know he, you're not going to play if you don't you know contribute in some facet, and you're asked to you know where Team USA is a true setting where numbers don't matter at all. So I'm really curious to see how he does in this role, and so far so good. And but obviously against the the real games will start up next month on that front. And then I'm curious to see just how he ends up in that and whether Brad Stevens sees some of this and ends up, you know, stealing some of it for the Celtics in terms of how he wants to do some lineup alignments uh, 
once the rally season starts. Well, one thing that I think is really encouraging, too, especially with Brown, and, and this is true of Tatum, maybe less so in the last game against the uh, the Boomers, but uh, you know more so against Spain prior to that. Both of them have been more aggressive, attacking the rim, just getting in there. You mentioned the dirty areas with Brown, and that's what, especially for Tatum, was really missing in year two versus year one, is that willingness to get to the free throw line, to really attack, to, to be willing to get hit going to the bucket. And I, I think that's been really good to see in these games. And that's, for me, the type of thing that regardless of how things play out, and this team should win the World Cup. I mean, it's it's got all the NBA talent. None of the other teams are, are full NBA rosters. So if and when this U.S. squad wins, as they go on a, a good run with these guys, that's what I want to see more of, and that's what I want to see carry over into the next season. Yeah, no question about it, Adam. I mean, Greg Popovich, something just throughout his career, like his first teams in practice and drills, He's always been known for, like, forcing guys to make quick decisions, like you said, um, in terms of what these guys are doing right now. And that's something for both Brown and Tatum that they definitely could have improved on from last year. And Tatum, obviously, it was a priority for him entering the summer anyway to, you know, get stronger and go to the rim with more force. And that's something we've seen a well, lot. It's, it's, it's interesting that he's kind of just been used as a, a six-man role on this team, but is still, like, one of the top men-getters since he's – you know, kind of anchoring that second unit offense, it seems like at times for Team USA so far. And then, but it is, it's been a nice mix. He's made some nice moves to the rim. He's taking primarily good shots. You're still, you know, seeing some mid-range in there. But for both Brown and Tatum, just having, for an offensive flow for this team to work, it's going to, you know, to make them as dangerous passers, dangerous driving. They can obviously do both. And, to have that kind of ingrained in their basketball DNA now, like this early in their career from a second, you know, positive voice and pop on top of obviously what Brad Stevens is trying to, you know, work with them on. I can't, you know, it is, it is something where I, I could, the timing I don't think could be much better for both of these guys to get this kind of experience in. And then you just hope again that the, the lessons learned here and the, you know, the quote unquote sacrifice that, you know, you have to put in on a team like this to, to obviously win this tournament, which, I, you know, they should win, but I don't think, you know, there are some decent teams out there. So given the talent on this roster, you know, they're, they're heavy favorites, but, you know, I wouldn't be shocked if they, like, you know, lost a game at some point um, in the next few weeks. Yeah, don't need to go perfect. And, and of course, you know, one of the reasons that they're not, like you said, a, a team that's viewed to go out and dominate necessarily, at least not game in and game out, is because the best player on this team is Kemba Walker. He's the only all-NBA guy. Basically, everybody else said no, focusing on the coming season or just waiting until next summer with the Olympics and all that. And so Kemba, I don't want to say he's a captain by default, but in some ways he is. And whether or not he would take offense to that, I couldn't tell you. But I do know in listening to him talking to NBA TV, he's certainly excited about it. It's an honor, man. It's a blessing. This is something that I've been dreaming about since a, a young kid. I've been watching this these Olympics and USA basketball for a long time. So, you know, for me to be named one of the captains and one of the leaders, I mean, I couldn't ask nothing more. So, B-Rob, like I said, I'm not surprised that Kimball Walker is one of the three captains on this team, but I think a lot of people were kind of caught off guard in seeing that Marcus Smart is – you know, Captain America here. And I've been advocating on a whole bunch of shows, well, going back a while, but I've, I've really kind of honed in on it this summer as we've been kind of looking for things to talk about, how much I love this guy and how much I, I would love to see him be the captain of the Celtics. I think he's effectively the de facto captain of the Celtics, just without the title, because Brad Stevens doesn't do that. But I did not see him becoming captain of this team or a captain of this team when he's been sitting the whole time with that calf injury. He hasn't even played and I, you know, I was wondering if that was going to keep him off the team, if he might be the last cut. And instead, he's so safe. He's it's it's like the ultimate Marcus Smart thing to not even have to play, and he's named a captain for for all his leadership and the things he does when he's on the floor. So, were you surprised by it? Yeah, I mean, like you said, for a guy that you know got hurt in the first week of practice, uh, and I don't know, like I always felt better about him, even when you know they had a fuller squad closer to the start of camp. And um, I felt like his role, he would have a role in this team just because there wasn't really a defensive minded gritty guard like him in this group. So they're sure. like, there's always a, there's always room for a guy like that in international play. I feel like, um, but no, there's no question. I mean, like, I don't think, I didn't think he was a lock by any means. And then he got hurt and you're like, okay, well, 
you know, they're obviously playing it safe here, but they have to have some backups if they can't go. But to go from that to being like, oh, yeah, and also your captain with uh, Mitchell and Kemba, that is, yeah, I mean, that's a, a huge, I think, tip of the cap from, I presume, Popovich and the coaching staff there giving those honors. And, again, like, it's just a, uh, for all the things that went wrong for the Celtics last year, one thing that, you know, couldn't have gone better was the development of Marcus Smart. Mm. And I guess that's just, you know, kind of continuing this summer here. Obviously you want to see him back on the floor, but they're clearly playing it safe with a calf injury uh, as they should post. You know, I think any, every trainer is going to be extra, you know, careful about that after what happened to Durant in the, the finals. But it's uh it's a situation of smart where clearly he's, you know, going into his own Pavlovich probably just loves the fact that, you know, he is, uh, a guy that is going to sacrifice whatever you need, whenever you need it, um, and is refreshed by that. And so, yeah, this is, again, something to build on for him going forward, and you just hope that he does stay healthy here since I do think, um, like, a not an underrated storyline of last year's collapse, but, like, you know, once Smart got hurt in that game 81 and with that core injury, um, and obviously he came back, and I think it was game four, but clearly it was not. I think he went like one of 12 in those last two games. But like not having him for that Buck series that close to full strength, like kind of took the fight out of this team yeah. um, during, the, during that span, I feel like. You know, one question I've had about this tournament, at least as it relates to the Celtics, and not with Marcus because we know the kind of guy he is and, and the kind of player he is, and, and he doesn't he cares about being an all-defensive team, but he doesn't give a damn about what his numbers are. You know, he doesn't care how many points or assists or steals or whatever that he averages in, in a real way. I'm sure there's a, a certain pride element like there is for any player, but he's, he's not going to get bent out of shape about it, plus he already has his contract. That's not the case for some of the other guys. I mean, Jason Tatum wants to prove that he is an all-NBA caliber guy eventually, an all-star this year. He's already made that proclamation that, that he's going to average 20. He's going to be an all-star. Jalen Brown is going to be a restricted free agent, wants to prove that he's a, a max-level player or close to it and earn his keep. But you think back to all the things that happened last year with, you know, they said the right things going into the year about sacrifice, but they never did. I mean, nobody did. And now you hear these guys with this team talking about sacrifice. And as you said, you know, numbers don't matter when you're playing in the World Cup tournament, but they do matter when the NBA season gets going. So do you think these guys can learn about sacrifice from this international experience and prevent that from becoming an issue into this next regular season versus what it was last year? Because that's one of the things that, you know, for all the things that you want to put on Kyrie Irving, that's not one of them for me. The the fact that younger guys weren't happy in their roles, that's not Kyrie. No, not at all. I mean, there was there was a lot of things that went along last year. Kyrie was at the top of the list, but like you said, that was he, it was far from the only thing. Um, and, and obviously his play, his play, Kyrie's play in the first half of the year when they were struggling was like, phenomenal it was everyone else that was you know kind of struggling out of the gate outside of like marcus morris and marcus Smart, was the younger guys mm-hmm. so yeah you you look at just maybe how things played out last year and the way that you know just having a fresh voice here just seeing again how you know what, what this team lost like if tatum you know tatum and jalen got right there at the nba finals and now you lose Kyrie, you lose horford and so you might not, you know, maybe does that just improve or just signify to them that, hey, we got, you know, we can't take that for granted how close we got there. And if we ever want to get back close again, then we need to, you know, kind of embrace that's the sacrifice that we need to do that clearly we didn't do enough of last year. I will say Jalen did get better on this front a lot. I thought last year as the year went on. Yeah, he um, had a strong second half. Bench. He had a strong second half, but again, he lost. He wasn't closing in a lot of games either. So, like, mm. he still didn't have, not the full stress spread, just Brad liked other guys over him at that point since the, because there were definitely certain games where he wasn't bringing it. And Brad was like, I can't go a few tonight if you're, you know, you're losing guys on defense and you're kind of taking those by shots here and there. But, again, in this setting with Popovich, with uh, a good group of guys by all accounts, like, you, you, you hope you, you're never going to know for sure, but I think it is just like, I think it was, it's again, it's great timing for something like this. It's great timing for them to 
to get something fresh to go off of to kind of look past whatever happened last year to see, again, learn lessons from a great coaching staff and then hope that those lessons translate and translate again while you're doing it with your new teammates anyway so everyone can kind of get on the same page early and hit the ground running so there isn't, you know, the 10-10 the and 10 start that essentially, you know, sunk this team last year um, early and they never really were fully able to recover from, I feel like. You know, for years we've talked about trading for stars. It's It's been the conversation that's carried us for, I don't know, probably more than a decade. And obviously some of the more recent big ones, Anthony Davis, Kawhi Leonard, a lot of conversation there. But Tatum is 21, Brown is 22, Smart, 25. As Walker told NBA.com, you know, those guys, they're young vets. Is this a core that Danny Ainge should prioritize holding on to and building around at this point. Bain said one day he thinks Tatum's going to be a superstar. He's high on Brown as well. I, th- I think a lot of us, we already talked about it a bit, we share in that feeling. But is Ainge, if he hasn't already, is he coming around to the idea that maybe trading for the superstars isn't everything and, and we can attempt to build from within? I think that's like the ideal situation for Danny Ainge is that this is the core and that it works. And I think they're going to have the opportunity to show that this year. That's kind of like by standing pat and by letting, you know, by not making any big deals this off season with the young guys, they're saying, okay, we're going to reset here. We're going to, we got the, an all-star point card. We're going to try to piece it together in the front court, but we're, we're hanging the keys to the car to the younger guys to a degree, along with obviously Hayward and Kemba and Kemba is in a situation where, he just wants to win. Like he's 29. He's been in the playoffs twice. He hasn't been out of the first round. So he's looking for all the help he can get here, which is he's obviously in a different area, you know, mindset wise than, than Kyrie was from that standpoint. So that's the first priority, I think, for the for novice. But with that said, I feel like Tatum, you can feel pretty safe about him being here long term. Jalen's just a fascinating one for me since obviously he's entering the contract year. And based on where the market has been set for him for restricted free agents, obviously with Ben Simmons and Jamal Murray getting max deals, extensions already from their respective teams, the Southern Stern can offer Jalen a max deal this offseason. It's just not going to happen. But Jalen probably looks at Jamal Murray being like, hey, like I'm as good as that guy, or I can be as good as that guy if I get the opportunity. So are the Celtics going to pay him that? Or is he going to prove that this year? And if so, do the Celtics want to commit that kind of money to a guy who's going to probably be the third or fourth offensive option or not? Because that's going to, they need to make that decision one way or another heading into next summer, because if they're not comfortable paying him that kind of money and he has a good year, then they're put themselves in a really tough spot with the lack of free agents that are out there next summer. So I feel like Jalen, like, by the time trade deadline comes around this year, it's I, I, I'd be surprised if we don't hear him in rumors at all, unless he's going to have having a great year and the team's just like, yeah, like hmm. you're fitting in here perfectly and we want to move forward with you. Assuming there are no significant roster moves for Boston or anywhere else before the season, and uh, I say that with no guarantees because, as you well know, we've just passed the two-year anniversary of the Kyrie Irving-Isaiah Thomas trade. Seas are going to enter the season with the third-best championship odds in the conference behind, you'd expect, the Sixers and Bucks, and that's appropriate. And some might, might even say that's a little optimistic, by the way. But Grant Williams, the rookie on this team who I'm just infatuated with, one of the rookies, there are four, three that'll be on the club. He told Sirius XM NBA Radio that uh, he thinks this new team's actually going to surprise some people. I feel like we're underestimated, underrated team, because we have a lot of veteran guys who may be young. You have Ennis Cantor, who's probably 28, 27 years old. Right. Kimball Walker, you have guys that have high talent, and Jason and Jalen have proven themselves over the past couple of years. So there's a lot of talent on our team that I feel like it's undervalued. A guy like Jason, who past two or three years has competed as a, a star in the league, still is considered one of those guys where he may have had a quote down year but you look at the team he had to be more a little more passive a little more less shot selection adding a guy like Kemba who's a superstar already but he may not have been considered a superstar because if he was in Charlotte because of not necessarily winning as much so hopefully we can add not only to their portfolios but add it to the team and get back to what Boston is known as as a team that is championship caliber players every single year and is fighting for that next banner that'll make us even further away from the competition 
Is he right? It's an interesting perspective because I actually was over at an event with Gordon Hayward this week um, when he was doing, um, you know, I think one of the house makeover things with mm-hmm. the with the team, and he, Brad Stevens came up, and the quote that Gordon had about him was saying, you know. I think he is for sure excited about who we have as a group right now, and I think he's pretty confident about what we can accomplish. Just Gordon talking about Brad. So Gordon wasn't making any big pronouncements about what they're doing, but everyone seems the, the optimism is, is flowing from all angles with this team right now. Um, I'm I'm very concerned. Just not all concerned. I'm very curious to see what's going to happen in the front court. That's why I, I think the back court's great with Kemba, Jalen. Um, Marcus Smart, and then Carson Edwards. There's a lot of potential there. We don't know what Langford is. Right. Brad Wanamaker showed that he could do stuff when he was given minutes last year. That's looking good. The Wings are looking good, obviously. Tatum, Hayward. Um, but now you have the Al Horford and Aaron Baines gap, if you will. And it's a big Cantor, one. It's a pretty big one. <laughs> it's like, yeah, it's a big and one. You have, it's definitely a big one. And Brad Stevens is going to have to be at his best with this and with his staff, just because you have four guys to play those center minutes, maybe five if you want. If you think Grant Williams is going to be playing center as a six-five guy, which I don't think is a complete, uh, you know, out of the box scenario, given how Stevens likes to play. But you do have guys that have different skill sets, which is good and bad. Like you, you have Cancer for the rebounding and the offensive-minded finishing down low. And then you have Tice as a stretch guy, Poirier as someone who can, you know, maybe defend bigs better and still is pretty athletic around the rim. And then Robert Williams with whatever is, you know, we all know what his potential is, whether he can put it all together or not, is the question. So, you know, it could be a situation where every night, depending on the opponent, depending on the personnel, you're seeing a different guy out of that group, you know, kind of step up and take a bigger chunk of the minutes. But I'm curious, I'm just like, you know, who's closing on this team right. like, out of that group? Like, who, who's going to – is someone going to step up consistently and be able to, you know, go toe-to-toe in the East with – which is, if you look around the East, there's a lot of impressive big men, you know, just in terms of – or front lines in the playoff picture. Just from whether it's Toronto, Philly, Milwaukee, obviously, Indiana. Like, it's, it's not easy. So, the, these guys are going to be tested in a lot of these games. And so – if someone can step up, then yeah, like uh, Grant Williams can be right, and they're they're going to be ready to go toe to toe with the Sixers of the world and the the Pacers and whatnot. But if the if the front line is inconsistent, then that's when things get dicey. Let's take one quick break to tell you today's show is brought to you in part by BetOnline.ag. Basketball is in the dead zone, unless you include the World Cup. Even still, doesn't matter. You can still win money on the NBA or college. Both seasons have title odds already. Clippers, Lakers, they lead the pack in the uh, NBA plus 350, plus 400, respectively. Celtics, not so great with the title odds. It's plus 1,600. It is a long shot, of course. That means you put it down and you got a chance to win a whole lot of cash if they surprise people. Things like that, they've happened before. I know plus 1,600 sounds a little rough. Plus 300. If you're more inclined to win the division, that much more realistic, especially with Kawhi Leonard no longer part of the Raptors. And while baseball season's, I mean, kind of winding down, you got a month or so left, placing a wager on the sport has never been easier with the best odds at betonline.ag. This weekend, you got uh, a potential World Series preview, Yankees, Dodgers. You've also got Players Weekend jerseys, if that's something that you're into. I don't know why you would be, but you could be. And not only that, NFL preseason, it's underway, it's winding down, that means the regular season is coming up. And to celebrate another season kickoff, BetOnline.ag and CLNS Media are giving you a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit. Head over to BetOnline.ag or you can use your mobile device. Join today, use promo code CLNS50 to receive your welcome bonus. Don't sit on the sidelines this football season. Get into the action with BetOnline.ag, your online sportsbook experts. Minimum $55 deposit required. Please see BetOnline's general rules for additional terms and conditions. Let's get back to the show. I heard some people take an issue with Williams talking about the team and being underrated and everything that we just heard about him categorizing some of his new teammates when he hasn't even played a pro game yet. Did did it bother you at all? Did that strike you? I mean, not really, because what is he supposed to say? Yeah, we're going to be like a run-of-the-mill team. Like, (laughs) you know, like these guys, like he's, it's not like 
they all had impressive summer leagues, so not that that matters, but like it's an encouraging sign. And you know, I don't. It's not like he's saying we're going to win the championship. It's saying yeah, like you know, people are sleeping on us, which is could very well be true. Like there are there are clear cut you know number three if you look at most projections around the East, and um, it is. I say I, I do think like the betting public is not is pretty high on them. I was you know the I think they're over under or something like for wins is. It's like 48 or 49 or so like and a half, yeah. Yeah, which, again, when you look at the, like what happened last year, being like, okay, so they lost a lot of guys, and they're not, you know, the people are not expecting a drop-off, which I think is a, a credit to Brad Stevens being like, all right, the, the headaches are gone, and so now he can kind of – I think this is – he's going to have a team that he can, like, mix and match with now and do without worrying about stepping on Tyree's toes and or keeping – Terry Rozier in the lineup because, you know, he's stomping his feet or whatever, um, even though he was, you know, brutal for poor parts of last year. So I do think that, you know, just after all, like, Brad Stevens has his team back now is what I think is first and foremost here, just in terms of how this team was constructed this offseason. And, you know, I'm, I'm very eager to see, you know, he's maximized pretty much every season he's had up to before last year. And so I expect him to do the same with this group and what, how high that ceiling is for this group will, again, like I said, depend on a, what the front court looks like. Speaking of Williams, uh, he and Carson Edwards both landed in a third-place tie with three others in the which rookie was the biggest steal at where he was selected in the draft question on the NBA rookie survey. Uh, Bull Bull, who I desperately wanted Boston to draft, was at the top of that list. We'll see how he pans out. But seems like C's fans aren't the only ones that are high on these guys. I mean, it was it was their peers that put them there. Yeah, again, again, encouraging development on that front. It's <laughs> the if you go through the rookie surveys of past, and it's it's pretty interesting. The hits and misses of the rookies on you know, I think they had one year it was Donovan Mitchell who they thought was underrated, which obviously they nailed, and then. I think a couple times they listed like Jabari Parker and Julie Okafor as the best players in those draft classes, respectively, which is like, you know, oops. Yeah. So <laughs> they, I was big on Parker, I, too. I never loved uh, exactly, Okafor. Right. Like, that's, you know, everyone has their uh, yeah. hits and misses on that front. But For sure. It is. I mean, I can't, it's hard not to be, especially Everett's after the summer he had, like, I feel like the floor for his career is like Eddie House. Because he's someone who's just going to be able to, you know, get shots up and make shots from seemingly all over the floor, and he's not going to have to do it with, you know, uh, tough supporting cast around him like he had on Purdue. He's not going to have to carry the load. He's just going to be an energy guy off the bench. And then with Grant Williams, he seemed just to be able to do a little bit of it all. And the outside shooting, if it's there, that's going to be pretty big because they didn't ask him to do much of that at Tennessee, but. The transition of the three-point line seemed to go pretty well this summer. So you factor that in with his passing, just his defensive IQ and strength. And, yeah, like you – it wouldn't surprise me to see both of those guys just be solid bench contributors for this team this next year. And that's for a, for a late first-round pick and an early second-round pick. That's a two um, you know, early wins for, for this franchise when they, they, need, they need these guys to pan out, Adam, because they're – the, the list of assets they have, both in terms of players and, you know, future draft picks is, is kind of dwindling to not an alarmingly low level, but it's, it's, they need, they can't afford to miss on guys like they have in the past few years, whether it's, you know, like your Yahoo or your James Young's or the world. They, the margin for error now is a little bit thinner on that front based off of, you know, Kyrie's and Al's departure. Well, like you said, we don't have a clue either what Romeo Lankford's going to be. I mean, maybe the thumb after the surgery, it turns out he'll be able to shoot again. Most of his bad numbers came after that, and he basically played all season with that thumb injury and shot like crap, but maybe it turns out with a healthy hand, go figure, he'll be able to shoot okay. We'll find out. But uh, speaking my language, too, with the Eddie House, as as you well know, I mean, this, this show is anytime I'm on the air, basically, it's a, a temple for Eddie House love. I, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm all about that. This is my favorite guy of, of that era of the Celtics, uh, even, even with all the talent on that team. But you mentioned Hayward before. Let's go back to him because 
he stayed in Boston all summer to work with with the Celtics staff and with some of the other players to pick up basically where he left off last year. He chatted with you, other members of the media at that community event uh, during the week. And uh, uh, listening to him here, he, he might maybe just be feeling like Utah Gordon all over again. Back to no restrictions, and so that's felt really nice, being able to train exactly how I'm used to training, not having to worry about only doing stuff for 10 minutes or only doing a certain amount of reps and not having to worry about surgery or anything too. So it's been really good from that standpoint, I'd say. More than anything, just building back some confidence, being able to do everything that I am used to doing, just having the reps. I think the reps is what gives you confidence, and so being able to do things over and over and over and not worry about how my ankle's feeling or, you know, having to be cautious with it is, has been really good, especially for my confidence. That confidence, B-Rob, that he was talking about, it that seemed to be, and I wasn't there, I, I watched the video, that seemed to be the, for me at least, the biggest takeaway of, of his media session was that this, this is a guy who, you know, was kind of timid talking with the media last year, never mind how he played on the, on the court, just in conversation about where he was at mentally, physically. It was always kind of cagey. He sounds like a guy right now who's exactly where he wants to be, feels great. Like you said, maybe some of the distractions and headaches are gone, which I wouldn't expect him to personally acknowledge as it relates to Kyrie or others, but he just seems to be in a really good mental place. Yeah, and it's, he, he just seems, again, really eager to get things going um, with this upcoming year because it has been such a grind for him. Like last summer, just having that second surgery – um, in June or so, so obviously he was getting back onto the court, but that is, it wasn't like a full clean summer of rehab from, with nothing. He had to kind of work his way back from that second procedure. And then you still factor in the the situation where he was getting adjusted to a new team too when he came back, like not just from a, you know, new teammates and stuff, but just a whole new system. Like, you play eight years in Utah. You obviously you get injured in the first game of your Celtics career. You're away from the team for pretty much that whole career, and you're still you're still, you know, you still have to find your place in that while balancing all the, you know, the physical concerns and then everything else that was going on with last year's team. So now, all that seems to you know he seems to have a good gauge of everything physically now from a rehab standpoint. He's able to focus on what he wants in his game. It seems like like the focusing on those reps he wanted to get. And, yeah, I'm again, um, it was up and down all last year. It obviously ended on a pretty tough note for him in that Buck series. But, um, you know, the Southerners are clearly believers in him. And he's one of, you know, the, the, the guys that they stuck with through last year. And I think they expect big things here. And the, a lot, you know, while – Number one on my concerns are the upside of next year's team, I think, is depending on what happens in the front court. I think a, a huge X factor, maybe number two, is what Hayward looks like because mm-hmm. clearly the ceiling for this team goes way up if he gets even close to what he showed in Utah. And we did see glimpses of that last year. It's just the, it's all the consistency that's going to matter now. You said it earlier, he's high on this group. Despite the departures of Kyrie, Al, Marcus Morris, Terry Rozier, it's it's all eyes on the future, and he's buying in. With Kyrie leaving, you know, we're going to miss him and his abilities and everything and you know, wish him the best of luck as he goes to Brooklyn. But I think we, as a team, are excited about who we have coming in and more than excited to welcome Kemba and Ennis and Vincent and um, all the other guys that are that are new for us. And seeing the rookies around, too, being at the facility, I've seen them all and uh, really impressed with their work ethic and man just excited about the year it makes me think more to last year where even when the team was winning it had that mid-season stretch where it was playing really well but Marcus Morris acknowledged that they still weren't having fun like they still weren't enjoying themselves this seems like a a group that and again easy to say in August but sounds like a group that's going to have a good time how much more fun do you expect this team to have and and quite frankly for fans to watch because owner Wick Grossbeck and and billion other people have said last year's team was just it was really hard to watch. It wasn't enjoyable to to root for that team on a nightly basis as much as you wanted to root for the laundry, the collection of talent just and it wasn't even individual guys. Like there weren't guys that I know there was the stuff with with Kyrie toward the end and Terry when the season ended, but you didn't, as the season went along, hate the players. It was just, these guys can't figure it out, and this is feels like a waste of my time. 
How much of the opposite do you think this year's going to be? Um, if Summer League was any indication, it'll be... <laughs> Uh, what, 180, total no, 180? Yeah. <laughs> I mean, exactly. But no, but Summer League is not obviously real NBA basketball, so you can only take so much of that. You're not going to see Taco Fall playing 10 minutes a game. Um, bite, you bite your tongue. Exactly. <laughs> I mean, sorry, guys. But no, I think last year, to your point, like the the pressure was on from day one, and uh, the pieces just didn't fit because of the, for a variety of factors, including just like the, guys unwillingness to to sacrifice um and so when that happens and things get ugly you see just like the repeated blown leads and offensive offensive uh droughts and this year i again i i I referenced it earlier i think brad stevens has his team back to a degree in the sense that like he in particular i feel like really had to walk on eggshells he'll never talk about this publicly but like just with the Kyrie situation, with trying to keep everyone happy and engaged with the, the Rosiers of the road and the Jalen's and, you know, the guys that didn't think they were getting enough touches or just weren't, you know, playing the way they envisioned themselves to be. And you understand that frustration, but um, Brad had to manage all that, and he had to do it also if I think was a flawed team to a degree um, in terms of personnel. So now this year the expectations are a lot lower. You have guys, I think, that are willing to play their role in different parts of the roster. Again, having the, you know, Grant Williams and Carson Edwards can't be complaining about They're not going to complain about playing time because they're rookies and they don't have, you know, nothing's going to be given to them. They're just going to be happy to give it their all when they're out there. And so you put all that together, and I think it's going to – I'm not sure, again, if they're going to be as good as last year. We'll we'll find out. But to your point, I think it's going to be – probably a more enjoyable product to watch on a night-in-night-out basis because you'd think that the the cohesiveness will be at a stronger level and it'll just be a matter of are guys going to play up or to their potential or even beyond expectations. And if they do, it'll be even more fun to watch. But if not, it'll still be a guy like Kemba and just the, the – I think the style of play will be uh, – refreshing change of pace from last year let's spend a few minutes on this before i let you go uh nbc sports boston put out a slideshow of the best and worst celtics trades ever on the anniversary of that irving thomas deal and uh that is a deal that you know this for all i remember you might have produced the show the the first celtics at seven after that trade happened but I did not like that trade, and I was very much in the minority of not liking that trade. And uh, I'm not even saying it was one that was bad in that you don't make it again because I understand the risk that, you know, the the upside that was associated at the time. I just didn't like it. I didn't like Kyrie, not even as a player. Just I I had all sorts of questions about him as a dude based on the stuff that happened in Cleveland, and, and basically all of that came to fruition, unfortunately. But you could still justify the deal, even in retrospect, for where they were at that time, you could justify the deal. So fine. But looking back on it now, because people want to have that whole, well, who won the deal conversation? One thing I don't think has really been mentioned, isn't it possible that just nobody won? I mean, I I don't think there was a winner in that deal. I mean, yeah, I guess if you have to pick one, somebody did win, but but it sort of felt like it was all losers. You know, Cleveland certainly didn't win the deal, and, and I don't think Boston comes away looking rosy after that trade either. No. Yeah, I think that might be the best way to put it, to be perfectly honest. Um, for me, the, the trade, it, again, it was, a, it was a huge roll of the dice at the time. Um, you understand why you did that. The Celtics had to take a roll of the dice at some point, and so you can't fault them for it um, from that standpoint. The the biggest, you know, way the deal hurt, in my eyes, though, you know, you people say, okay, they, you know, Isaiah was obviously hurt, and the Cavs got nothing for Jay Crowder, and the Nets pick was only number eight, so not a big deal. The issue is, Ante from the standpoint, yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it's, yeah. Playing big minutes next year, I'm sure, for yeah. a 20 win Cavs team. But the problem is with how it played out was like using those assets there, it closed the door on other options down the road mm-hmm. to a degree. And that's that for me is the biggest part of how that deal hurts now. Because, yes, like you couldn't, like the number eight pick and Jay Crowder isn't worth a ton, but if that trade isn't made, I think there's a very good chance 
you, you have those for like a Kawhi Leonard deal. So you can theoretically make that deal and not take away from anything that was re- left on your roster. Same situation with Anthony Davis, where you could have theoretically made the move for him in February at the trade deadline without any limitations from Kyrie Irving being under contract because of the Rose Rule right. restrictions. So, again, the Celtics did not know that these opportunities were going to be there. Like, no one thought Kawhi Leonard would be available at any point from the Spurs two years ago. Anthony Davis, obviously, was always a pipe dream, so the timing on that was going to be uncertain, but the Celtics thought they had enough assets for him, and they honestly, they still did. They just didn't want to use them when they knew Kyrie was leaving this past summer. But that that is going to be the long term. That they the Celtics made the the right gamble. They just made on the wrong guy, and that is how I look at this deal over the long term. The questions you said, you know, there were questions about Kyrie at the time of deals you brought up, and he didn't answer them well. And now he gets another chance in Brooklyn. It's going to be very interesting to see how it happens there. But the situation, the Celtics recovered nicely this year by getting Kemba. They still is a lot to be optimistic about, but it, it still could be a long time just to recover from the aftermath of that deal in terms of getting back to a true contender level. It might be, I don't know when that's going to happen now. And you wrote an article and kind of a almost fascinatingly impossible exercise, but still fun on imagining what the Celtics would look like today if they didn't make that trade with Cleveland. And for people who haven't read it there on, on Boston Sports Journal, what'd you come up with? Yeah, so it is, I pretty much just laid out the the timeline after the trade of looking at, okay, like here's when these guys became available. So Blake Griffin was available, you know, in January 2018. Would the Celtics have made that deal? No, because he was making too much money. So that's like, I looked at that. I looked at the Kawhi Leonard situation. Again, just kind of referring to the extra assets the Seas would have had at that point. So in my fantasy world, the Celtics trade Jalen – you know, Crowder and maybe Marcus Morris and a first-round pick for, like, Kawhi, and then still have enough to go after Anthony Davis when he demands a trade in last February. And would they have not made that deal or or not? Like, I don't know. Would Kawhi have stayed here or not? You don't know because Toronto obviously did everything right with him and they still he still walked away. But would... Kawhi have walked away from a partnership with him and Anthony Davis with, you know, a perennial contender set up around them. Like, I'm sure that's a question that Danny Ainge would love to ask. But it is the the hypothetical what if of terms of, like, I would have been shocked if one of those two guys, not both of those guys, weren't on the Celtics if that Kyrie trade never happened. Just enough to anger Celtics fans who would have who would have much preferred either one of those guys over Kyrie Irving. I, I think even at the time, if you had said, do you want Anthony Davis, Kawhi Leonard, or Kyrie Irving, and you put like a Twitter poll up, I think Irving still would get the fewest votes. Yeah, I mean, like, Kyrie was the LeBron sidekick. Right. And he hit the big shot, but like, he was injury prone, and we were, you know, I'm sure this was your thing too, Adam, like, can he be a true number one? Right. And... That question, I think, has been answered. Going back to that NBC article, so they determined, at least, I th- well, they didn't really give a number one best or worst. They just alternated best and worst through the slideshow. But I would say the best, one of a couple of different options. It's either the Bill Russell trade with St. Louis that involved the ice capades, or it's 1980, the two first-round picks to the Warriors for Robert Parrish and ultimately Kevin McHale. Maybe the worst, uh, you've got... Paul Westfall to the Suns in 74 for Charlie Scott. Westfall became an all-star, I think, five out of the next six years. Scott never really did anything. More modern fans would offer the Kendrick Perkins 2011 deal for uh, Jeff Green and Nate Robinson was involved. And Ad Kristich was involved in that, too. Although even Perk, Perk told me on, on this show that he didn't fault Ainge for making that deal because uh, odds are he wasn't going to resign. So there are a lot of people out there, including Ainge, that still justify that deal as much as fans like myself and maybe you still hate it to this day. But the Irving Thomas trade, where do you put it sort of in the pantheon of, of huge Celtics trades in franchise history? Where where does that one slot for you? I mean, it's up there, but I wouldn't put it on either end of those lists, like in terms of best or I'd, you, I'd put it just kind of like in the 
kind of in the, the neutral category. It's got a big impact, but like I don't think you know there are a lot of other mitigating factors too, like the Gordon Hayward injury, obviously. Right. Like, what is if he's healthy, then we're potentially looking at that deal as one of the better ones ever um, in Celtics history. If if Kyrie resigns and this team had been to the finals over the last two years. So that's the kind of stuff where I think ultimately you leave it somewhere, you know, right in the, not in the neutral area, maybe leaning towards the bad just in terms of this only because of the missed opportunities. But I don't think you can, you know, Danny Ainge hasn't made many bad trades in his tenure at all. And no, I, I would argue the last bad one again was, was the Perkins trade. And right. a lot of people do believe that wasn't a bad one. So it's been a while. You know, exactly. Like he's, and he said about the Kyrie deal, he's like, I'd do it again. And maybe he would do it again. I'm just again, thinking that if he got a clean bill of health from everyone as part of the terms of doing it again. So it is, it's a, it's an interesting, you know, thought exercise just to go through the possibilities, what the lessons learned, like you would think that, you know, I'm sure the front office does this all the time. They just look back, you know, how did everything do, evaluating things years in the past, every year, because things change, like, within months, within years. And so that's something where, you know, we'll revisit this in a few years, a few more years down the road, and we might have a different interpretation uh, of how things end up based on maybe Colin Sexton turns into an all-star or, the Celtics get back to contending far sooner than we would have imagined, and then you can't really, you know, you look at a trade in different lights. So that's something that, you know, even two years out, there's still plenty of time for the dust to settle truly on this trade and what its, you know, underlying long-term viewpoint is on it. Well, and and it's one of those, like you're saying, we won't know till we know, but different team, same guy. I just, uh, I, I don't know if I'm, if I'm jaded, if I'm bitter, or if I genuinely believe this, but I'm inclined to say, well, probably column A and column B, I don't think it's going to work in Brooklyn. And who cares about this coming year when Durant's not going to be out there? But once Durant is healthy, I just don't see those two egos, that team, the media scrutiny that neither one of them liked in Boston and out in the Bay Area, now in New York, where it's already bad and no one's even played a game yet. I don't think it's going to pan out. I really don't. It'll be fascinating. I mean, I think it all starts with what's Durant's health in a year. Like, is he the same guy he was in Golden State? History says probably not based on Achilles injuries, but, you know, technology is getting better. Like, maybe rehab programs are getting better now, and he's obviously the best player ever to have an injury like that. So we're going to see. But if he's not the same, then it's hard to think that things go great there based off of what they have around them but who knows like it's there's still a lot of talent there I like the rest of the roster whether they're going to be able to mesh with Kyrie better than the guys in Boston did when um, push comes to shove that's going to be the question but they've got good coaching it's it's going to be is Kyrie going to learn any lessons from what happened here or is it going to be more of the same I don't know but it's going to be fascinating to watch from afar that's for sure Ryan Robb, Boston Sports Journal, covers the Celtics and the rest of the NBA, has the Winning Plays podcast on the uh, CLNS Media Network as well. He's going to spend a, a lot more time on on this next show for him uh, with, with his co-host talking about those hypotheticals of, of the Celtics-Kyrie Irving-Isaiah Thomas trade, what may have been if that deal had never been made. So just gave you a taste of it here on this show for a, a larger explanation. You can tune into that one as well. And, uh, well, B-Rob, only about a week away until you get to watch basketball that doesn't quite matter but at least counts. So there's so there's that coming up. Can't wait. Can't <laughs> set the alarm for 7 a.m. every morning to watch some breakfast with basketball. Oh, man. Well, at least there's that. All right, B-Rob, thanks for coming on. Always appreciate it. All right, thanks, me. Always great stuff from B-Rob, and uh, do check out his show as well. like to keep the love in the family here, and, and just you can't get too much Celtics talk. You really can't because we're all hungry for it right now. We want stuff to matter. These are some of the issues that matter. And uh, something also that is really great, uh, I'll take us out with this. Bob Cousy became the fourth NBA player to be honored with the Presidential Medal of Freedom, the country's highest civilian honor. Bill Russell received the tribute back in 2010. I believe the others, Michael Jordan and Kareem Abdul-Jabbar. But Cousy, six-time champ, 
MVP, basketball legend, Hall of Famer, we know all that, but also fought racism, became a leader for racial equality within and beyond the National Basketball Association. This is some of what he had to say at the White House on Thursday. This acknowledgement allows me to complete my life circle. I can stop chasing the bouncing ball. The Presidential Medal of Freedom allows me to reach a level of acceptance in our society I never once ever dreamed of. And it's very special for two other reasons. It allows me to join one of the most exclusive clubs on our planet. Secondly, Mr. President, it's special because it is being presented by the most extraordinary president in my lifetime. And I'm a B.R. before Roosevelt, so... Anyway, thank you, sir. Thank you, all my friends and fam. Thank you for your attendance and your attention. Peace. Bob Cousy, 91 years young. Well-deserved honor. Congratulations to him and uh, the entire Celtics family as well. Hope you enjoyed this edition of Celtics Beat. Evan Valenti will be back with you next week while I'm on vacation, but then we'll get going back into it. World Cup basketball will be underway in September, and uh, preseason will be rapidly approaching as well now hopefully i don't miss some giant trade in the next week you just you never count it out when it's dandy Ainge. i'm sure he's working he's always he's always thinking always tinkering i don't think it's going to happen but i can't say definitively that it won't this show brought to you by betonline.ag use the promo code clns50 to get a 50 percent bonus on your first deposit of 55 dollars or more thanks again to b rob to uh evan to nick larry john everybody else of course Always you. We welcome your feedback. You can get me on Twitter, at Adam M. Kaufman. You uh, can leave a rating if you feel so inclined. We appreciate the five stars. Leave a review, please, on iTunes. We appreciate that as well. They always make a big difference, even to our sponsors, no matter how silly that may sound. You can subscribe to the show iTunes at just search Celtics Beat or Celtics. It'll pop up. You'll see it. You can get the video versions of the show in some cases. Uh, Show's always posted on the CLNS YouTube page. You can subscribe there. Stitcher, again, Twitter. I'm always tweeting out the shows. Usually my pinned tweets as well, at Adam M. Kaufman. So, always available to you. You don't have to work too hard to find us. Looking forward to finding Gino at the Garden at some point soon. Get us out of here, guy.